we honed in and decided to go even more all in on mental health because no brand had ever championed that. And also specifically to the audience that we have, right? Like that younger consumer that they're, they're not used to talking about mental health. You look at someone's page, it's all the, you know, the best moments of their life or whatnot. And how do you talk about everything, right? The, the whole spectrum, right? Like we're able to do that with physical health, right? If, if you have a broken arm, you can talk about it. It doesn't feel weird, right? Uh, you say you're going to the doctor, but if you tell me you're going to therapy, it's all of a sudden a little bit weird, right? And so us leading with the optimistic message, us starting from a place where people look up to the brand or want to be involved with the brand, that allows you to have the deeper conversations in all of these areas. Heyman Ruff uh, has joined me today. And some of you, probably, uh, unless you are a keen observer of uh, trends in the fashion industry, um, maybe, uh, maybe certainly don't know who Payman is, uh, and maybe not familiar with what he has helped create. I can tell you, once you get to know him a little bit here, and once you hear and perhaps uh, look into the uh, products that he has helped bring to the world, that you will have a different appreciation. I certainly did. Payment is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Mad Happy. Um, yeah, I know that's a cool uh, word and a cool use of the two phrases, and it is, as Payman has told me, a deliberate uh, design. So we are going to talk today uh, with Payman uh, coincidentally, Payman happens to be uh, uh, 24 years old, 25, he just corrected me and we'll fix that in the tape, uh, 25 years old, uh, and now sets the record for the youngest guest uh, on Tell Me What to Say. But that age issue is also something that we're going to explore today. Uh, age, conversation, the difference it makes, and most importantly, what the future of that uh, uh, challenge at times uh, is is seen to be. So here we go. So thank you for coming today, Payment. Um, so the question that I'm going to be asking everybody uh, as we get into season two, for those who listen to season one, you got to find out why guest A or B or C, what they wanted to do when they were little. But I'm going to use this to focus a little bit more on conversation and communication. So the question for payment um, is, as you look back over your life, um, can you think of a time that you would point to as formative, uh, that, that, that hops to your, your brain, where you learned to converse, where you learned to communicate? What do you think? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Uh, I think for me, so I was born in 1994 in Florence, Italy, right? So my two, both of my parents, men in Italy, immigrated from Iran uh, during the revolution. My brother and I were born there, and then we moved to L.A. when I was six, so in 2000. And so when I first moved here, I spoke no English. I spoke Italian and Farsi, and during first grade, which was the first time I went to school in the US, I was in additional English classes, learning quickly. And I think I felt like an outsider 
early on because I didn't have any friends slash couldn't speak the language. So I think early on, my thing was trying to talk to as many people as I could or trying, trying to make friends early on when I felt a little bit like I was left out, especially like early on when I moved here. Um, and at first the communication was very like inorganic because I couldn't really speak English. So it was like me trying to communicate, I think. And it's hard to remember exactly how it played out versus what I remember now. Uh, but I think pretty quickly, luckily like learned the language fairly quickly and, uh, tried to just make friends. And I think that's the first time that most of us really begin communicating or thinking about, oh, I, I should be talking to these people at mm. recess or whatever the case. Uh, and then I think as I grew older, just continued doing it and I've always enjoyed it. I think mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm pretty outgoing and want to talk to new people and want to just be in conversation. So it's always been interesting to me, but you're right. I have never thought about like where was the first place that I started doing that or being like consciously doing that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's definitely what it was. Yeah. Interesting because the, the just the, the context more for the question uh, is, is and something I'm developing in the coaching as well is everything that we've gone through in our lives brings us up to the point we are today. Shakespeare, right? Long time ago, 400 and some odd years, said the past is prologue. So everything that has happened is the beginning. So I like to hear uh, from clients, from friends, from family, anything, where did it start to take place? Because it was formative that you were um, not struggling, but certainly on a real, real um, definitive effort to be able to pick this kind of not only the language, but then applying it to forming relationships. And that is something, you know, in getting to know you a little bit, you are very comfortable in that thing. For the listener, please know that Payman was um, was quite interested in this whole concept of talking about his company and all that, and has been an easy uh, a person to work with and talk about with this, unlike sometimes when you pursue people who... Um, just choose not to be that way. So leaving that editorial aside, thank you for being um, uh, so uh, accommodating in getting our time together here. So um, let's get to the, the question that maybe some people are obviously who are tuning in because I sent out a note that this podcast is up. Um, Mad Happy is this. Let's go into, say, we're, we're standing at a party uh, you know, we're there and we're getting to know each other. What do you tell people you do? Um, and then we'll play little party talk here for a few minutes so that people can learn about what I think is this incredible, uh, interesting company. Cool. Uh, I, I think you put it well at the beginning when you just talked about the words mad and happy next to each other. And I think that's where it first started, right? We had this name that we felt really like passionate about, felt like it resonated with us. And we really tried to create a brand around that name, right? So that's where Mad Happy came from. And the, the easiest way to put it is we're an apparel brand centered around optimism. And, you know, that's like the simple, like, part, you're at a party, this is how you describe what you do. Uh, but I think much more than that, like, we, I think we've created a brand, right? And what that means today is much different than what brands were in the past, right? Because people can engage with brands in many different ways now that wasn't really possible before and it's not just a transaction anymore. And two is 
we have this bigger mission around mental health and driving conversation around that within our age demographic, right? So our quote unquote category is this like streetwear, uh, younger Gen Z consumer, right? Uh, so talking to them and, and doing things with them that are relevant both online and in our physical stores and spaces that we take over. Got it. So you were not only, I'm sure, a consumer of other brands, you and, and I believe you have three co-founders, right? As yeah. you talked about the we who built the brand. Um, but this is how you have come to uh, engage brands in general, I'm assuming. You've borrowed from, can you think of some influential, we'll call them conversations that you've had uh, through social media, where you've come to understand what a brand uh, represents, either good or bad. Um, can one, does one pop to mind? Definitely. I think yeah. it started with growing up in LA, growing up around Fairfax, where a lot of these like first, second generation, like s real street, quote unquote, streetwear brands started, right? So I think that was our first, I would say, interaction with it. And the conversations we had around that with our friends at the time of, you know, what are these brands or, oh, it was so interesting to us. And then as we started getting older and social media became more and more prominent, that social aspect of a brand kind of began taking over the physical stuff they were doing, right? Because you could hear about a brand and not even live in the same country, right? And you could have access to, oh, the new product they're releasing or the partnerships they're working on or what the brand truly stands for. And so I think a lot of the formative experiences we had around brands were both growing up in Fairfax, which is one of like the hotbeds of streetwear, and then two, being alive or growing up right in that peak of like the social media age of the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the new brands just starting online only, right? Like the direct-to-consumer wave that came to be right when we were in college. And I think you would see some brands that felt like resonated with you and some that didn't. I think a lot of those things influenced how we do things the way we do. Yeah. Uh, and then some things we're just doing because we feel like this is the way that we see brands being built and yeah. we want to build our brand. Just as a, as, a, as a gut reaction, which I think always makes for the best conversations anyway, you can, I wholly, I wholly admit uh, that this is a, a, a conversation in progress that we're having. I do that with, with all of these. But from your gut, since everybody can use, let's pick Instagram, uh, regardless of your age, regardless of everything, what are the differences that make for, in general, that you think you've done well on how you've told your story social media-wise, created a conversation with your consumer, um, versus the ones that, you know, because everybody can use it, there obviously have been people not to be named or brands not to be named that haven't struck up. Can you even come come close to grabbing an instinctual difference? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't think it is for every brand, right? I don't think every brand's best use of storytelling is Instagram, right? I think it really depends on who your audience is and what the consumer is used to getting from that brand, right? So uh, older brands that have been around in the apparel space, right? They're not going to have that same connection that we were trying to have because we grew up with Instagram, right? And so I think as we were growing up and as we started the brand, for us it worked really well because we knew that 
we always had to be innovating and doing new things, right? Where a lot of brands will just post the same thing a bunch of times in different ways, right? And we quickly saw that people get bored. They're seeing so many things every day that you really have to try to be on top of that uh, trend and attention cycle that is just so rapid now. And not every brand can do that or wants to do that or is in their DNA. But I think when you start like that, we kind of got used to it and got rolling like that. Got it. Got it. <laughs> is, there, is there something, if you look, whether in your, in your social mediated conversations or in ones that you have, you, you've done this prolific job um, that I've been a consumer of, uh, and certainly uh, my girls uh, around pop-ups. Um, so that's that classic but new brick-and-mortar approach, right? Is there um, something that you have been trying to tell as a story through those efforts, right? Instagram and brick and, and pop-up, right? Has there been a theme? And maybe that can help you talk a little bit more to the listener and to the world about what's important to you because that's what right. the brand's the reflection of you and your co-founders. For sure. I think the first thing is that optimism, right? So how we define Mad Happy when we started it was about being okay with the ups and downs of life, right? And trying to be optimistic despite everything that, you know, things will go wrong in your life and you will have bad days. So that was like the origin of the word mad happy and how we felt the brand would be portrayed. So in our product, that's what we're trying to convey, right? Optimism or um, feeling better about yourself by wearing the product or feeling like uh, it's like a like-minded group of people that want to improve and want to be positive about the outlook they have on life, right? So that's like the core core essence of what we're trying to give off with our product, with our events, with our pop-ups, just how you feel in there. Not even if you buy anything, just how you feel in there, the experiential aspects of it, uh, the block parties we throw, all those things, they're meant to make you feel good and also create, you know, start a conversation there uh, about things that perhaps you're not used to talking about, right? So I think that's how the larger layer started with the brand of driving conversation around mental health because optimism is at the core of of your mental health, right? Mm -hmm. And not looking at mental health as only this like dark side of things, but seeing it as a full spectrum, right? And and realizing that you can be optimistic at each part of that spectrum, right? When you're having a bad day or when you're having a good day. And I think that that's how that, that layer was formed. Right. And as we grew with the brand, we saw that people reacted really well to that message that we were portraying. And we honed in and decided to go even more all in on mental health because no brand had ever championed that. Right. And also specifically to the audience that we have, Right, like that younger consumer, that they're, they're not used to talking about mental health. Um, well, no one is, right? right. I was the, the just going to correct the you. The truth on that, is, right? no, yeah, one, right, the, exactly. no one is. Uh, but I think at this time, especially, like it's never been more needed uh, because of the social media stuff. Because you look at someone's page, it's all the you know, the best moments of their life or whatnot. And how do you talk about 
everything, right? The the whole spectrum, right? Like we're able to do that with physical health, right? If if you have a broken arm, you can talk about it. It doesn't feel weird, right? Uh, you, you say you're going to the doctor, but if you tell me you're going to therapy, it's all of a sudden a little bit weird, right? And exactly. so, so why is that happening? Um, it's just we're not used to it, right? It, it, we can't. It came from a place of it being uncomfortable, and I think us leading with the optimistic message, us starting from a place where people look up to the brand or want to be involved with the brand, that allows you to have the deeper conversations in all these areas. When you say it allows you to have the conversation, who is, in that case, who is the you that you're talking about? So I'm referencing us as the brand. As the brand. As the brand. Okay. So we're able to... So if if you really like the brand, right, as a consumer, and you're like, oh, I love everything they're coming out with, you want to learn more about the brand, and you right. also care what they have to say. Right. If it starts from a place of you're in school and someone's reading stats to you, like about mental health or about bullying or about drug use, that's not going to really resonate, right? Right. But if it's someone you look up to, whether it's a brand, right? Now brands can be looked up to. Back in the day, it was just celebrities or athletes, or you know. So it's a little bit different now, um, and you're much more likely to resonate with them. And then listen to what they have to say, right? And then talk about it with your friends and feel like it's an appropriate conversation. Got it. So when you uh, have the opportunity, let me let me take you to one of your pop-ups. And maybe this happens, maybe it doesn't. You'll certainly uh, uh, correct me or, or, or guide the story however you want. I'm trying to imagine how a consumer... Right, so my daughter's friend, who I know is a big shopper at at Melrose Place, um, how how does the conversation happen for her or him um, to get into something that, as you just said, is hard to talk about around hoodies and sweats and hats and and a, and an interesting place to be. You see what I mean? How yeah. does it how does it manifest itself into important conversation from a cool name and uh, cool products? Right? Yeah. So it's a great question, and I think that one the brands that people wear nowadays, like you care a lot more what that brand is about than you did in the past, right? So people buy a brand like Reformation because they stand for sustainability, right? People b go to Sweetgreen because the ingredients are organic and they're sourcing from great suppliers. But at the end of the day, they're purchasing from these places because they like the product, right? So I think first it starts with having amazing product, right? Because if you don't have that, you're not going to have a platform to talk about anything, right? right? And so I think... The average person that is a consumer of our brand or any brand that is trying to stand for something larger than just another product has leads with the product, right? And through that product has certain ways they're messaging, right? So whether that's through our graphics, whether that's through just the quality of the clothes themselves or through limited edition things we're doing, whatever the case, or through how our stores are aligned, right? How our stores feel like a welcoming area where you feel invited in, where you can go to the back into a mirror room and, and hang out with your friends and take photos and do really whatever you want without feeling the pressure to buy anything. 
that's where you start feeling the brand, right? Both phys- in the physical places as well as like online, how we're appearing on social media and whatnot. And so people get this like idea of what the brand's about, right? Mm. And that's like what we call like the first layer. And the truth is most people will remain that first layer forever, right? And and, and our thing is we think that's okay, right? I think they're they're choosing to take part in a brand that is pushing an optimistic message where when we feel like that's super important in the world, right? But as you start learning more and there's a select group of, of that huge base that will want to be more involved or will want to see, oh, like they say, okay, mental health, but like what does that mean? Or right. what are they doing? Or, or what does that mean for me, right? And those people, they have many ways of getting involved more, right? Whether that means coming to a panel we're doing, right? With 60, 70 people, super small scale. Or it means them reading the content we're, we're releasing online, right. right? Around the space. Or it means them getting involved in a charity partnership we did with a big mental health organization. Or coming to a block party we hosted that the profits go back to an organization, right? So there's more ways to be involved. Some, some are like, you know, you're opting in and some by nature of being there, right? If you come to our block party, you're supporting the cause, yep. even if you don't overtly know that. Yep. Um, so I think there's a lot of touch points, right? But the, but the real truth is that one, it starts with the product and two, not everyone is going to fully know or fully be engaged in what you're doing, and that's okay. Right. But it's about being there when someone does need it and and being accessible. Got it. So tell me a little bit more, I, I got to ask. Uh, block parties. Um, you, you obviously funnel the, the, we'll call it the profits or money toward mental health causes, which is a you know, beautiful thing. But if... If Alexander and Marissa, our daughters, go to the block party, what's happening? Yeah, so the block, so we've thrown two block parties. The first one started about two years ago. We were doing our first pop up on Merrill's Place, right? And usually when we launch a store, we, we do a big opening event, but the space was pretty small, so we mm-hmm. couldn't do it in the space. So uh, it was my brother's idea let's look into seeing if we could close down the street for a night and throw an event on the block at night, right? And so we were able to figure it out that year through a, a very last minute block party with about a thousand people. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was no money raised. It was free for everyone to come and it was just a really fun time, right? Which is what all our opening parties are. It's like free. You don't need to pay for anything. Usually all the stuff is we get sponsored. Uh, you can shop if you want, but that's not really like the aim of the night. This year we did that same thing, but on a larger scale level. So we hosted about 2,000 people. Uh, there was, a, I believe, a minimum donation of $10, I think the tickets were, uh, but you could donate more. Uh, we got most of the party sponsored again by just different you know, CPG brands that were involved and, and just different things that made sense to be involved on that block. So basically we ran the party at about break even. All the ticket sales were able to go mm. uh, back to one of our partners, the Jed Foundation, which is a great mental health organization. Yep. But that way is like kind of a win for everyone, right? Like our band, of course, is getting the exposure, is throwing a great event. Like people are coming, they're having fun right. uh, in a very easy and relaxed way where like they didn't feel like they had to pay $300 to come or something. Got it. And then, of course, like the organization benefits as well. Exactly. And 
it's a really fun time. A place for, let's just easily say, great conversations, not to overemphasize. But that you see where I you see where I'm coming from is is it they, they certainly play a role in a lot of ways. The same way that going on your website, which is I want to ask you about that because of course in my research uh, getting ready uh, for this, I went on the madhappy.com uh, website and there was something called let me get it right it's the the local optimist, right? Yes. So so do the do the shtick on the and I mean that in the best way on the local optimist which which that helped me really get you uh, as much as any conversation we've had tell me about that for sure so when we started Mad Happy of course like it was just online was just a website right where we sold product and we tried to show the product we were releasing and, and engage the community just as we did on Instagram right but we wanted to do more specifically on the content side not really related to our product right so we wanted to do more on the mental health side right whether that means facilitating conversations hosting a podcast doing a video series things of that nature but not as much focused on the actual product we're releasing, but more on the message and getting great people involved that have had great experiences to come share them. And so that's where the idea of, we always had this concept of like local optimist group, which is just like everyone who's like involved with Mad Happy, like it's like the community aspect of it, right? So we've produced it on clothing and a bunch of things like that. But we wanted to do a publication of sorts, right? A hub where we could have all this like content that we were generating, right? And it didn't really like perfectly fit into like our website, right? Like our website, our e-com website is very specific mm-hmm. and and aesthetically in, in one way, right? So with the local optimist, which we actually just re-released like a new version of on Monday, uh, it's like a lot more like fun, like bright colors and, and just all these different content buckets, right? Interviews, toolkits, um, different culture pieces we're writing, just fun stuff that we're, we're writing internally. Uh, we have some contributors externally people can submit things to. And right now it's mainly in written content. Uh, but, but as we go, we're going to be adding, we're adding a podcast uh, mm-hmm. starting in early March, which will go along a similar topic, right? Getting people that our audience looks up to and hearing their story uh, with mental health and how they got to where they were and uh, how they still deal with it today, right? Got it. And then adding more video content. So it's kind of like our hub for the media we're creating. Got it, got it. And if you had to pick, just because I was so taken by it, because it's, <laughs> it's very, there's no fancy graphics, there's no, you know, it's not this huge production, but it gets right to the message. What uh, is your favorite part of you know? What's the part you're in? Maybe you're involved in, or do you oversee the whole thing, or how does that work? How do you create that conversation? For sure. So, I th- I think one great part of it is that we're able to talk to our audience and our community however we want. Right? There's no like barriers anymore. We don't have to go through the press. Like it's just mm-hmm. whatever we want to release, we can. And and so that means that over time it's really going to improve and shape by what we're doing as a company and how we're growing. So we're super excited with how it looks right now, but know how much better it's going to be as time goes on and as more and more content gets released there. And what's good about that is it could help someone today or it could help someone in 10 years, right? Someone right. could come across an article or a toolkit 
in 10 years from now, randomly on the website, doesn't even know about the brand, but it could be really helpful for them at that time that in their time. life. Got it. And, and so that's what I'm excited about. I'm also excited about the podcast we're releasing because people consume content in many different ways, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of people read less than they used to, that's to right. be honest, right? That's right? And so I think we want to have written, but all the other areas, video and audio, make a lot of sense for our brand and our audience too. Yep. Wow. You know, I'm just, I, I was taken and maybe the real uh, sort of secret or the thing that really connected us, I've been a, a, a reader about, about, I talk about being on my website about being strategically optimistic. So it's a word that I've seen and heard and that people, frankly, pay a lot of lip service to. Um, let me ask you this. With that in mind, whether in conversations that you've had with people or for yourself, what is the hardest part about staying optimistic? Optimistic in general or in yeah. conversation? In your, in your life, uh, in conversations. I mean, optimism is a wonderful message. It means different things to different people. There's blind optimism, which is, uh, I've seen people completely convince themselves that everything is fine when in actuality it isn't and not that they need to be pessimistic but in in terms of your experience around optimism and in building conversations around it where do you find resistance yeah i mean i think you made a good point that like everyone is a little bit different so i think i just naturally happen to be a very optimistic person and still am today uh, it doesn't mean that when there are downtimes, I do struggle in finding like the optimistic part of what's going on. Uh, but I think optimism is is more of like an opt in thing, right? And you mm-hmm. can decide to be an optimistic person, right? Uh, but but then like, how do you actually live by that? I think it's a little bit harder, right. right? Because it's easier to say, right? And we all would like to say that we're optimistic, right? Besides, like the minority that like they the like more, being pessimistic, yeah, right. which is fine too. Which I know a lot of those people, and and they're also choosing to live that way, right? right? And and how they react and how they do everything, and and like I said, everyone is different, but. But I think it's like the day-to-day stuff, right? Where it's like, overall, I could say like I'm an optimist like up here, right? But every day, right, when you're very tired or you've had a long week or this thing didn't go great in your personal life or your relationships at work or whatever the case, are you actually you know, exuding that optimism in those situations, right? And, and, and again, like you said, not blind optimism, right? Right. I think that's like a, there's extremes on both ends that are not good. Yep. Uh, but I think we all generally know what I mean when I say optimism, right? And it's mm-hmm. like making the best of the situation you're that's in, right. uh, no matter the situation. And, and so I think like that's the hard part is like living and being true to it. And then just reminding yourself, in, even in the good moments, that this isn't going to always last, right? It's not always going to be this good. And so when it's not, I should also remember this, right? And remember right. how I felt here, uh, which is easier said than done. But yeah. I think it's more of a practice and a process. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's helpful. I was, I was thinking of you know all the reading I've done, all the, if you will, the events that have happened in a life that's you know, been underway longer than, as you would say, your demographic. Um, optimism has has got me through uh, a number of things. You know, uh, you know, deaths of parents, 
all the stuff that really will encroach on your life. And as I said, that's what connected me to your brand. <clears throat> but let me test one other part of optimism for you. Um, certainly you've heard about um, the, if you will, conflict or generational gap between, um, between uh, Gen Z, where you live, uh, obviously the millennials, and then the boomers. Um, are you optimistic uh, in your dealings? Because you deal with a lot of different kinds of businesses and people. Um, wh what do you feel is the challenge that we all face when we define each other by generational uh, generalizations? Right. right. I just made that up. Um, but what's the challenge there? And what do you see, whether in your business or in your life, as a, as a way through it? Yeah. I'm going to be asking that to every everybody, certainly under, under 40 and over 40, yeah. what we're going to do about that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll say that I don't think people are that different, right? I think there's different kinds of people, but within all age ranges and demographics and ethnicities and genders. So... I think I've come across people much older than me that have a very similar view on life than I do, right? Share similar values, are very optimistic about things, and also the opposite, right? And I've seen people that make it a big deal that like, oh, like, no, our generation was this way, and you guys are all this, and, you know, don't work hard or whatever the case. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, of course, like generalizations are never quite accurate, right? right? And I think you can make a case that there are people like that. Uh, and I think I've definitely come across people like that, but I don't really em engage myself with or continue to keep relationships with people that think that way. Got it. And, and kind of regardless of the generation they're part of, even mm -hmm. peers of mine or people around my age range, uh, there's people that I get along better with that share similar values to me that I want part of my life. And then there's people that don't. And I think that's okay also, right? And I don't think that I need to be friends with everyone or make sure that everyone likes me. Uh, and I understand that there's differences and people can live their life the way they want. But I think generally I found like I have enjoyed the, you know, the challenge of, the, the issue is like people are like scared to like talk to like older people because you feel like, you know, less than or like you're very like unconfident in that conversation. So I think I've been good at being confident in myself enough to know that, you know, I never say I know everything, but I say that I'm trying to learn as much as I can and be right. very like on top of myself and improvement. And I think most people understand that and and that's what they're looking for, right? They're not looking for someone who's 22, 23 to know everything, but to want to improve and to have um, that type of mentality is what's important. Right. Do you think that your mindset, as you just described it, of being open, of wanting to grow, of uh, wanting to learn, as uh, as candid as you can be, is that a exception or a or more of a practice within people that you know? Yeah, so I think there's both sides to it, right? I think there's part of it is like naturally people are more inclined to be on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's a learned skill as well. And it really depends on like really finding what it is that does excite you. Right. So it, if I was doing something that I wasn't passionate about, I wouldn't want to be learning about it every day. I wouldn't want to be getting better. And I think the issue with 
making kids go through like the same exact process. Everyone goes to school for 12 years, then goes to college is that mold doesn't fit everyone. Right. right. I was lucky that I enjoyed school and I liked that process. But for example, my brother, and we talk about this all the time is he hated school and it wasn't really for him. Right. And he was way more on the creative end and was just trying to figure out what he liked to do. And so putting people in those molds makes it tough. Right. right. And I think being able to find, you know, mess up a little, find what you want to do, then it makes everything easier, right? Like, I don't feel like, you know, it, it is hard work, but I don't always feel like, oh my God, you know, I have to go to work today, right? Where a lot of people do feel like that way, and it's hard to want to improve when you feel that way. Exactly. Well, Payman, thank you uh, for, for there's, a, there's a connection that we have. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm very proud probably to be your oldest consumer, uh, I, I don't know. We'll find out about that. But it's an it's an incredible message. Uh, it's a very important one, and you really do a, a distinctive. You and your co-founders and your products do a distinctive job of telling a very important story to the world. Look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.